Good evening, dandies. Welcome to Undetermined, the podcast. Here we go again. Yeah. It's, it'd be, it's a lot easier than us all driving three and a half hours in our separate directions to meet each other. And, in a pandemic. In a pandemic and, and meet each other with one microphone and talk. Yeah, get real close. Yeah. To each other. We've done that. Sneeze. Once. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ugh. Yep. Get a little closer. Then it's the city of Rollo's problem. <laughs> or wherever we'd meet up. Where would it be? No, oh, probably Springfield is Yeah. I think you go to the guest. Yeah. Kind of the, the triangulate it. Yeah, I think that's that's That'd probably nice true. <laughs> that would be the nice thing. We're not necessarily nice. You need to get out of Springfield though. Yeah, I do. I I've been stuck here so long. I mean not not only like year wise, but uh uh because of the uh the COVID, you know, I was stuck at home for five weeks with my youngest child and we just, he slept all day, played video games all night. And then just, I waited on him hand and foot and brought him lunch and <laughs> dinner. And we watched all the star Wars movies. Yeah. Did he get into like entitlement mode and where just like he expects to be served? No, no, no. He's, he's, he's a good boy. He'd do the dishes and stuff. We had a good time. I enjoyed it a lot. It's it's weird though when you when you're separated like this it just it becomes a twilight zone kind of when you don't have the societal rules of like telling you where to be what to do you know and, and you don't have that guidance it's just hours you know minutes turn into hours and and hours turn into days and it's it's so it's strange it's very strange your sleep schedule gets way off and yeah. I saved a, I saved a lot of money though, and we rode bikes. There's a good bike trail just down the street from my house that we can just ride to, ride on, and not be on streets. And all I all I bought were, were groceries and you know my internet connection and stuff like that. So it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. The economy's, you know, we're in a recession at this point, and things are gonna. There's gonna be so many rock and roll clubs and, and movie theaters that are going to close down. But yeah, I, for one had a great time taking off for five weeks. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. I no, And I feel, I feel terrible for people that, that didn't, but, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I got to work from home and I still get to work from home. So I'm not going to complain that much because there are going to be lots of people heading back out into the big, scary world with people not wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I end up in, I go to about anywhere from four to seven house calls a day into people's houses working on their broken recliners. And I wear a mask and they stand over me, breathing on me. And it's, (laughs) it's the worst. (laughs) Yeah, that would be awful. And wearing trifocals with a mask on, it's, it's impossible to see what I'm doing in a dark, in a dark shadowy living room. Yeah. Uh, have you figured out the fog trick? No, I have not. Oh, yeah. Probably the best thing to do is you take like Dawn dish soap, something that, that cuts oils, right? And you just get it on your fingers and stuff. And you, well, first wash your hands. But of course, then you put it on your fingers and rub it all over the lenses, rinse it off pretty good, not entirely, but then dry it off. But just make sure that you never touch the lenses again. Yeah. So it's the oils on your fingers and, and shit like that that make it 
to where the fog comes up. So if you don't touch your glasses, and like I say, you should wash your glasses anyway because they get gross, you know? Yeah. So do that every once in a while. But when you do that, I found that when I wear mine and I put a glasses on it, if I get them real clean and dry, you know, soft cloth, et cetera, Dawn dish soap, um, they won't fog up for like two or three hours on you. Well, I, I need something because um, people stay home waiting for me to show up to their house. They, they've they got their curtains shut. Uh, the <laughs> lights are all off. And I've got a tiny little flashlight on the end of my drill. And it uh, it's really the mask. The mask and the trifocal thing, the the fog fogged up glasses are difficult, but my trifocals, I'm I'm having a hard time focusing on something because it's just there's so many things to look at with a mask on, it just makes everything insane. I I, I teach, and we've talked about this before. We actually got a uh, a survey about how we thought things were going to go going back into the fall into the classroom. And one of the the district questions was, how would you feel about kids wearing masks all day and social distancing within the classroom, making sure they're staying six feet apart? (laughs) And I was just like, man, we have kids go home without their shoes. (laughs) Yeah. Like their shoes are in the lost and found. It's like, how many masks do you think are going to be on that lost and found table? Well, and, and how, how are you going to socially distance in school when the schools are overcrowded in the first place? Right. You can't. No, you can't. I, mean, it, it, I told them that. I said, it's a physical impossibility in my classroom. It's too small. You can't, you literally cannot distance kids six feet apart and there be enough feet for them to be apart. Well, they came up with a way to teach kids remotely and they did it real fast, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm my, my youngest got, I think he got all A's, which I'm, I'm like, did you really get all A's? <laughs> did you really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. My kid, his school and he, he, we just got him enrolled in a new school, which may not make much difference. Right. <laughs> it's going to be at home either way, but they're like right now kind of up in the air. Like they're offering, you can do school from home half the time in the classroom half the time. Yeah. Or you can just do school from home. Yeah. And and we're leaning toward the half and half if things clear up. You know, that's because he needs contact. Poor kid has not seen another kid in several months now. Yeah. Right. I feel bad for him. But if you're talking about mitigating a virus, what difference does it make? It's it's like once you take that mask off for a minute even if you've been wearing it all day and you're with somebody else who takes it off, you know, I mean, it's, it sounds crude, but it's comparatively to a condom. Right. That it's like, you know, "Ah, I'm going to take this out for a couple of minutes. It'll feel better. And then I'm going to put it back on. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I was at a convenience store the other day and the woman behind the counter, she, every, literally every two seconds, she would pull her mask down and then yeah. two seconds later, she would pull it back up. And I'm like, what, why are you even wearing it? <laughs> right. You're defeating the purpose. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. You're touching it. And yep. it, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I watched some training videos with people who were just like, you know, don't touch it at all. Well, the moment you get out of your house, keep your hands off it. It's instantly contaminated. It's like, uh, if it's that scary, and the way I look at it with like public schools or big public events, either it's safe to go or it's not safe to go. Let's make a decision. You know, let's figure it out. I don't know that it is. I don't know that it, is. it just clicked with me. You had a kid in Italy. Do you still is he still there? 
He went to school in Italy, and as soon as they figured out that they were going to shut Italy down, <clears throat> they they made him leave. They flew they flew the entire school, any any of the kids that were from America back to New York, and then they quarantined him for thirty days. Oh wow! In some dorm rooms that had not been used for a while, uh-huh. and if they got caught outside of their room. They would be quarantined for an additional 30 days. So then they flew him after the 30 days was up. They flew him to wherever he wanted to go in the United States. And he wanted to go stay with his girlfriend in Eugene, Oregon. So he's flew out there and he just got back today. I haven't seen him in five months. So it's first today was the first time I saw him since I saw him in January. Wow. Well, I'm glad he survived all that. Well, I mean, he didn't spend a lot of time in places. He was in school so much. I wasn't too worried about him. And he's young and healthy. Of course, We've heard terrible stories of young, healthy people dying, but um, I, w- I wasn't too worried about him. But once they decided the school was that they were going to shut Italy down, like I said, they within three days they were on planes out of Italy to New York. So, wow, it was it was crazy. And then he had to do the rest. He's in fashion design at Fashion Institute of Technology, and those are hard classes to take when you don't have teachers, yeah, in person. So. Yeah, that would probably be more hands-on needed than some other things. You know, when he when he'd run out of thread, he couldn't just go to the store in Eugene to buy thread right. for a jacket. So it was kind of a crazy year, and they sent us eighty four dollars. I don't know what the discounts for, but I think it should have been more than that because schools schools not cheap. I don't know how he's going to ever pay off yeah. his student loans, but yeah. I don't know. I'm still not going to pay off my student loans. That's just, uh, oh my god, that's the farthest thing from my fair. mind right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah you just kind of forget about them. Debt. It, what else can yeah, a lot of debt in a lot of ways? I mean, I'm keeping up with the bills that I think are, you know, important. My mortgage, my car payment, and you know, all the shit like that. But it's like, yeah, mm, everything else is on hold. You can wait. I just paid off a Discover card after 13 years yesterday. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Wow. It was, it got, it got a little big and that, you know, years ago when I was young and had 27% interest on a discover card and then (laughs) just, it just every month it was bigger than it was the month before. And I didn't even put anything on it. It just, the interest (laughs) was killing me. Right. Uh, but I'm done with credit cards. Oh, good. Yep. Yeah. That's a good thing. I don't have any currently and I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, hey, before we get too far out in the weeds, man, you, you kind of do need to stay in Springfield because you're sort of a Springfield staple. I, I suppose. Yeah, we should introduce you. That would probably be smart. We should introduce you. That might help into the 11-minute part. <laughs> so, so we are talking to Joe Livingston. A.K.A. Mr. Blonde. I still get people that call me that every once in a while. Dude. Not Not as many as I used to. I mean, it has been... 25 years since I was Mr. Blonde. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did talk to, didn't we talk to Billy Smith uh, here a while back and he referred to Joe as Mr. Blonde first? Before yeah, said yeah. Joe. Of course, he knew me as Joe mostly, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I listened to that episode today just because I had, I listened to it when it first came out, but I wanted to check it out again in case we brought Billy up, but... Yeah. Yeah, I was Mr. Blonde when I knew him and worked in radio uh, Yeah, a long time ago. So what was your first dip into radio? Where did you, I mean, did you go out and get the license first or, or how does that story go? No, I, 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 um, I worked at McSalty's 
and my uh-huh. friend my friend Jeff Canino knew a bunch of people that worked at the planet and he got me in the door and I just went over and pitched an idea for a show you know I, I walked in and everybody's sitting in the in the uh, main office and told me to pitch my show and I pitched it to seven people or so that I didn't even know <laughs> and told them what I wanted to do on Friday nights and it was enjoy the noise and you know I was really into Nirvana and Mud Honey and Fugazi and stuff like that yeah. I wanted to do a two-hour show, and they gave me an hour, and then then they asked me to start doing overnights shortly after that, and then I expanded the show to two hours. And my PD or my music director at the time was like, "Uh, how long was your show last night?" I'm like, "It was two hours," and they're like, <laughs> "Who'd you clear that with?" And I said, uh, "I cleared it with myself." Yeah, yeah that that was such a renegade radio experience that I, most people could never have. I think we were pretty lucky to have that kind of experience in radio. Yeah, any kind of radio station where to get paid, you have to wrestle the owner's son to <laughs> crack. <laughs> He's uh, tough to wrestle too, man. That dude was oh, story. Any, so, anybody that liked to wrestle for money would obviously be a good wrestler. So <laughs> <laughs> I never beat him. My my res- my wrestling experience was like seventh grade, where we had to wrestle in, in gym class. That was as uh, far as it went with me. Right. I'm like, just give me my fucking money, dude. <laughs> so what's the? St- I got to hear the story behind this. So, so what? There were feats of strength involved in getting shit approved. What happened? The owner of the radio station, um, and it was a small station, an FM and an AM station, and yeah. Oh, the creepy dude that was on the other side, Ron. Yeah, Ron, mm-hmm. who had the stinkiest cigarettes ever. <laughs> yeah, he was smoking like pell mells or something. They weren't they weren't good at all. Uh, anyway, Craig Craig ran the radio station. He somehow talked his dad into letting him run a radio station, and basically had all his friends working there. And you know, we we played what we wanted to play. There was real no real format on the station until there was a format, and then um, he would get money from different advertisers in cash. And then if you wanted some money, 40 or 50 bucks, which is what most everybody got paid there, maybe every two weeks. Yeah. Well, I didn't even get that, but I was working part-time. But this is, this is the planet, right? This yes, is yes. okay. Just for, just for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the beginning. And, the and m- most, most people my age or maybe a little bit younger remember the planet fondly as, you know, uh-huh. just a, a great radio station. And that was why the cred, that you got with being there was oh, yeah. worth not getting paid. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways. And, and man, getting into any show just about that you, that you were interested in. Well, and I used to, even back then I would complain that we didn't get enough concerts. I would, I would literally be standing at a concert talking about how there aren't enough concerts in Springfield. <laughs> and now there aren't any concerts in Springfield. Right. So I, there was some good stuff that came through. Great shows. Oh, yeah. John and I have gone to a lot of shows. We found out we went to a lot of shows together that we didn't even realize it in Springfield. Yeah, that we were there, yeah, at the same time. But, didn't you know, we weren't hanging out or whatever. We were with with our own clique. I mean, I've I've seen Fugazi in Springfield. I've seen Vic Chestnut in Springfield. I've seen Uncle Tupelo in Springfield. I've seen some great bands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shiner. I brought Shiner to town one time to the... uh, Thumbs up, which is the club you guys were talking about on the uh, show with Billy Smith. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Well, it was, yeah, thumbs up. Then it was the Outland Ballroom. Now it's the ballroom. It was the Outland. That's right. Yeah, Outland downstairs. Um, 
I'm trying to think of the other club, but it's uh yeah, they totally remodeled it. It's a great place now, but um, they were working on a uh, medical marijuana license. And so they shut the outland down, but then they didn't get the license. So I'm not sure what's going They're, they're sort of in limbo over there right now. Wow. Well, everybody pretty much is right now at this For point. Sure. Yeah. So trying to figure out what's going to go on next. Yeah. But anyway, back to the planet. It was just, um, you know, it was a year of my life where I worked overnights being cool. And then I would go clean houses during the day. I would sleep for like two hours. I would actually go to the bar next door after I worked. No, before. I love that place. And then, and then I would go to work at two. I worked two to six in the morning after having been at a bar all night where I got free beer. Uh-huh. And then I would work two to six and then I'd sleep for two hours and go clean houses with a couple of ladies in the, in the day. Uh, nice. Yep. I would go to school when I get to, <laughs> when I got done there and did you have the donut dude? Did I have that would like, he had like the donut delivery route and he'd call up in the middle of the night and ask to play a song. If you played the song, he'd bring you free donuts. Uh, he, he must not have been delivering donuts at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> yeah. or at least not when I was working. I don't remember. Maybe he just worked weekends. Cause that's when I was primarily doing the overnights, but yeah, I'd have, I had my donut dude. I can't remember his name, but he'd call me pretty routinely. Hey, play this song. I'll bring you some donuts. <clears throat> well, I, I had, I had made donuts for a while at, at uh, uh, whatever mr donut or something and i and i had a real um uh, disdain for donuts for a couple years afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah i could see that yeah that was another job that was that was a job i also did overnights back when donut making was actually done overnight and uh it was not fun yeah it was w- way less fun than working at a radio station overnight yeah yeah, I can remember. I can remember my sister when I was uh, probably about twelve years old, and she was about sixteen or seventeen. She got her first apartment. Alienated herself from the family, but she got this apartment down in, in downtown Morrison, and it was it was a nice, like old apartment, everything, but it was right above the bakery, you know. And you'd go in there, and it's like every time, oh my god, it smells like fresh cinnamon rolls and bread, and it was just one. It was just like, yeah. You get fucking tired of it real quick. <laughs> She's just like within a day or two. It's just it's over. Yeah, I can yeah. I ate, I ate like as many donuts as I could for the first week, and then after that, I was like, Ugh. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. it was the worst. Yeah, it's amazing. Something like that smell would get old, but you said it got old fast. So, my job when I got onto the planet, it was like the weirdest craziest interview because it wasn't an interview like i had called um had my first radio job in in west plains my hometown and when i moved to springfield for school it's like man i'd love to get back into radio up here and the planet in my book was the coolest station in town (laughs) so i called him up and rick answered the phone and i I just kind of asked you got any openings what's going on he's like why don't you you know you got a tape come on in talk to me tonight so I'm like, yeah, cool. So I went out to the station. It was like pouring rain. And I went to the front door and I'm like banging on the front door forever, just getting drenched. And it takes forever for him to come. Oh, you should have come to the back door, man. <laughs> well, fuck, I didn't know. Right. And then he's like, hey, I'm Rick. Relax, man. You got the job. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I had to I had to sit in front of all these people that I didn't know and plead my case. And you knocked on the wrong door and got a job. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the weirdest thing. I don't know how that happened, but I was thankful for it because it ended up being a lot of fun. 
It was great. It was, it was, uh, you know, I love having kids and I, I enjoy them immensely, but, uh, the coolest, funnest time of my life was working at, at the planet for a year. And then I went on to work in, you know, at the radio station. We, as we subsequently got sold every couple of years, right. I continued to work there, but I never had near as much fun as I did working at the planet. No, there was a freedom that came with it. And there was kind of a, I don't know, rebellious nature to it, right? It wasn't corporate, right? When it became Channel Z, you could feel that corporate sneak it in. But when it was the planet, it was just Wild West radio, really. Hey, just don't play the same song twice in your shift. Okay, I can deal with that rule. Yeah, it was um, it was fun. It was fun, and it was cool. And you know, if 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 you met somebody that didn't know the planet, you didn't really want to. You didn't care. You didn't want to talk to them. It didn't matter. <laughs> right. It was great. And and if you know, if you listen to the station long enough, you were going to find. I think a lot of people would identify with a certain DJ. You know, some people like to listen in the morning. Some people like to listen at night. Uh, some people listen when they're driving home from work or whatever. But I think with the planet, you, as a listener, you would uh, find your DJ because that was the guy who you identified with or they played the kind of music you wanted to hear. And it's such a great thing for a DJ to be able to pick their own music, I think. Oh, I love that. Makes fans of people, so... I remember, and I don't know who the culprit was for this, but I remember one night Rick pulled me aside and he was like, was this you? And apparently somebody had played Patty Sheffala, like Bruce Springsteen's wife on the station. And he was trying to narrow down, like it had come through that it somebody had played that. And he was like, was this you? And I was like, fuck no. <laughs> it wasn't me. That, it, was probably, it was probably Linux. He had the worst taste in music of anybody there. So, uh, Lenick. Yep. He even had the worst name, Doctor John. Yeah. Doctor John. See, he he played Springsteen's wife. It was him. I know it. I guarantee, I guarantee it. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah, that sounds right. But I gotta say, man, for from an outside an outsider's perspective, anyway, you know, I I moved down to Southern Missouri from up around Chicago and. It was exposed to some really good music up there. And I moved down to Southern Missouri thinking I was just doomed. A few years later, I moved up to Springfield. But I mean, the planet and even the more corporate Channel Z, I think, just added so many cool points to living in that community. It was a lifesaver, man. I mean, you know, because you're talking about the days where you had to buy a record. You know, I mean, you couldn't like stream shit, you know, or anything like that. Right. Well, and for the, you know, for years, you know, through high school and into college, the only thing you could listen to radio station wise, music wise was MTV 120 minutes or something like that, which you had to wait a week to listen to it. Right. And then hope that they played something you wanted to hear, which they always did. But when the, when the planet came on, people just, they lost their mind and it was awesome. No, there was nothing like it they were kind of cutting edge in a lot of ways. Like they played a lot of stuff before anybody else did. Oh yeah. Like I remember we were like the first one or first or second station in the country to play the cranberries, you know, shit like that. Yeah. Well, Matt, what did you say? Uh, we were talking earlier. What, what did you uh, derive was the first uh, artist to play out of there was, uh, it was the, the, wasn't the, the. it? Show. The, the first band on the show yeah. on the, on the station. Yeah. 
I thought that was what it could have been the the I don't I don't think I was listening when it first came on, but um I think I remember hearing um Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time on there. So yeah. yeah. That was definitely on there. But I remember like the they I'm pretty sure that was like the first and last song officially played for the planet. Well, see, I I, I was there for the last song and I don't remember what it was, but <laughs> I I was the last I did. I worked the last shift before the planet shut down, and I was the last DJ on the air until um, a certain uh, an, another Joe came on and took over and did the last mic break. So, huh. but I, I ran. I ran the last shift. Well, that's pretty cool. And then they just came in and took everything and moved it out. And then I had to move the new. You know, we got sold to um, Super Frank. Super Frank, who was originally from New York City, living in Augusta, Georgia, with the radio station down there. And uh, he came in and they moved everything out. And then I had to move the new PD's U-Haul into his new apartment. And he's, he kept joking around with me that uh, Joe doesn't even know if he has a job yet. And he, here he is moving all my furniture into my house. And I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Like, I had to keep coming back around. Like, I'm just curious. We'll let you know. All right, I'd really kind of like to keep going, and it would make sense. I don't think I did anything too fucked up. Yeah, and you guys actually pay. Yeah, that was well, usually. Well, I remember getting actual paychecks from Channel Z. No, I'm just saying I I remember having a paycheck bounce too. Yeah, I have no doubt. <laughs> like I had a rent check that bounced, and I had to pay, and they were oh, you should have had more money in your account. Well, fucking pay me, and I would have. <laughs> right. I think you should be paying for that. Oh, that's not our problem. <laughs> Debatable. Well, 23-year-olds always have a different idea of what the world should run like than people in positions of power. Right. Kids try to work around stuff, and they're not always right, but you feel like you are at the time. Well, I'm going to have a big nest egg on what you're paying me. Right. Channel Z was fun, but it, it um, once we started playing Alanis Morissette and stuff, I, I would... I would play the song, but I wouldn't listen to the song for the most part. So, right. There were still, there were still some good shit that got snuck in there though. Oh, for sure. All the time. I mean, uh, yeah, I can remember just like being exposed for the first time to like Ruby and, and, and Leslie ranking, you know? Um, and then there's like a pig face connection, some, you know, industrial connection there. And it's like, uh, but it, it's surprising to hear how everything was like barely hanging on a thread. Oh yeah. Yet everybody, like every punk kid or every like alternative kid, everything thought like this is an institution. It's legitimized. You know, it's out there. It's on the radio. Of course, it's got to be. <laughs> you right. know, real. It's got to be a part of our life. But then you know, you guys are like getting paychecks bounced. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it was not a stable environment by any stretch. Right. Channel Z was more stable than the planet for sure. But I, for the life of me, I don't remember how long I was on the Channel Z. I don't know how long that lasted. It was a couple of years, I guess. Yeah. I, I think we were probably there about the same amount of time for probably both. Yeah. And then, and then we got sold again and became The Edge. That's right. Yeah. Which was even more corporate. Yeah. That, by that time, I had jumped ship. Kind of, well, I was kind of um, let go without being let go because John was lame. <laughs> Like seriously, he was mad because I went over his head. Like I had a I had a show idea. Do you remember I did Midnight Express? Yeah. Yeah, and I would just like 
I'm doing the overnight. Let me have some fun, try some new stuff. You know, it's a good time to experiment on shit. Midnight Express was was basically people could call in, say whatever they wanted to say, as long as it wasn't like vulgar or threatening or anything like that. I'd put it on. And it ended up being like a pretty, it, it did pretty well. Like when I left, Julie took it and started using it, which uh, that's another story. But <laughs> <laughs> but like when I pitched it to him, he was like, nah, I, don't, I don't think so. So I went over his head to Rob and I was like, Rob, can I try this? He's like, yeah, why not? Give it a shot. See what happens. So I did. And then John comes to me like, oh, why'd you do that? You said we, I told you not to do that. I'm like, yeah, Rob said it was okay. And they didn't just fire me. He just never scheduled me again. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's called passive aggressive, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the edge was fun, though. I, I had a good time out there. And then we moved over. We moved from out on Kearney over to the Tower Theater. Yeah. And and I and I enjoyed it. And I spent about seven years from the planet to the edge. And then one morning I woke up and the name of the radio station was Alice and we were playing Bon Jovi and I'm like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And I was next door at 97. We we were both that upstairs space. Yeah. I remember that when I jumped ship and they were, I I was happier with that organization. I I thought they were a little bit more together and um, you weren't in fear as much at 97, which was nice. Yeah. Well, I just never could get back into radio because all, all I ever wanted to do were specialty shows. Right. I wanted to, to have a two-hour show on a Friday night, not work full-time, and play what I wanted to play. And, and uh, it took like 25 more years for that to happen. So, Yeah, I'm glad you got it. You got a pretty cool show, man. I, I like it, and I get to do it in my own house. And uh, I just email it over to the radio station, and they play it on Friday nights. And I and for the for the first time in my illustrious radio career, I actually get to listen to myself on the radio. <laughs> right, that would be kind of fun. It is. Yeah. I like it. So, just as an outsider, somebody who was never a DJ, why do you think that is? That, that it always seems like those ideas get slept on, and those ideas are always the best ideas in the end. I mean, you look at the even when you're looking at like MTV Headbangers Ball, you're looking at 120 minutes, and everybody's like, ah, oh, it's never. Nobody ever gives those things a chance. And then in the end, everybody's like, God damn, I wish we had 120 minutes back again, or I wish we had, uh, you know, just various radio shows where where people do focus on those things. Why do you think? Why do you think the establishment just can't get on board? Or the radio establishment just can't get on board with that. Matt, you you go ahead. <laughs> We're probably on the same page with some of probably. this stuff. One of my feelings is they they listen to analysts more than they listen to people, yeah. and they'll come up with a formula. This is the formula that works. This is all the stations that are working are doing it, and they all start to sound the same. Yeah. And it gets boring, and I don't listen to the radio really hardly at all anymore. I listen to NPR, right? But music radio, mm, no. And that's sad because yeah. I loved it. They like to focus on one artist like Adele and just put as much money behind her as possible and to try to make as much money off of one artist instead of spreading it around and letting everybody in on the action for some reason. Yeah. Right. They want that quick hit and they don't develop like they used to. Yeah. Like the Beatles and Rolling Stones wouldn't have happened today. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Because it took some time. Yeah. Yeah. And there there are so many bands out there that I play on my show that 
if the Beatles were around today, or if if COVID struck the Beatles, they would have been finer if it had struck during Michael Jackson's time. That guy was a billionaire. Right. And most of these bands like Future Birds or Jade Imagine or somebody like that, or who are barely scraping by touring the world. Right. They're they're gonna have a rough time bouncing back from all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I I did actually listen to the radio the other day and it hurt me. Like it physically I would just like uh felt a little bit sick to my stomach because I was listening to you know, a station that years ago I liked. I'm not even going to name what station it was, but I, I liked it. And then I'm listening to it and I'm like, holy shit, they're all like auto tune and really creepy, you know, and it, I, I don't feel that authenticity coming from anything that I'm hearing. You know, some of the older songs that you throw on maybe, but some of the more current stuff, fuck, it's all really there's you feel the formula oozing out of a lot of that stuff and I, I then i think holy shit i am so glad that i have a podcast where i'm getting to talk to some real artists that are doing something that's real for lack of a better word and, and I, I get that exposure and i realize i'm i'm getting all kinds of good stuff coming my way that a lot of people aren't getting exposed to. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's strange to me too, that like in music, especially music as an art form, and you're looking at, at things like visual art, like, like a docent at a museum has to have a good eye for art to say, this thing is going to work here. But then somebody who's like, you know, trying to put together a, a, a musically structured art form or radio station or anything else. Apparently it's, it's not about that. And, and they don't have to have a good ear for music. And that, that just blows my mind. It seems like it'd be the one thing that they would have to have, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's not, right. it's just, it's, it's, you know, whatever, you know, it's lo- like you say, looking at the analytics, looking at what's hitting, what's not hitting. Was this artist hot? Are they not hot? I don't know. It's almost like music has an exclusive on that right now. As opposed to visual art or film, I guess you could say, is also suffering the same. Well, I think if you if you search it out, you know, Shiner from Kansas City, and, and I know you guys have been talking to them a little bit on your podcast, but mm-hmm. and they're they seem so far ahead of their time that most bands sound like them twenty years ago, and they're still putting out some great music. Right. Yeah. And I don't under I I never could figure out why Shiner, my favorite Kansas City band of all time, I don't know why they never were were a huge band because they should have been. They should have been. Everybody for the next twenty years sounded like Shiner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Worse, worse lyrics and worse production. Uh huh. Yep. And their new album's great. It is. Oh, yeah, it's fucking amazing. Josh is really fucking cool too, man. We had a good time talking to him. We need to get more people from Shiner on. Yeah, for sure. I saw them. I don't know if it was their last show before, you know, when they broke up years ago at the, was, is there a club called the Madrid in Kansas city? Yeah. 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 I saw dirt nap open for him. It was a great show. Yeah. That would have been, yeah, that would have been a good show. That would have been just down. I was living just down the street from there at that time. I didn't go to that show. That was a good show. Should've. You should have. That was the big, the biggest Shiner show I ever saw. I saw him in, Kansas City a couple times and brought him to Springfield once, and uh, Billy might have brought him another time. But I saw always saw small shows and then saw him at the Madrid, and it was it was incredible. That's a neat venue. Yeah, I like the Madrid. Is it still open up there? 
Yeah. Yeah. They're still having shows there. And then I DJed there quite a few times as a, like a wedding DJ. I figured out that paid way better <laughs> than a radio DJ. So yeah. I kind of went from radio. Like I was doing radio on this well, again, 20 something years ago. See, that's what I'm saying. That's fucking weird to me. Just that that's the case. You know? Oh yeah. It's, you would, it sounds backwards and, and, Right, you know, oh yeah, the wedding DJ. No, fuck, you can make some money being a wedding DJ. I was making, and this was doing contract work, right? So I'm getting maybe, uh, I'm getting a portion of the draw, and I'm still making. And this was twenty something years ago, you know, twenty five dollars an hour as opposed to making what eight twenty five at the radio station. Right. What am I going to do? I can work one night for three nights of work at the radio station. I can earn what I did. And get tips. That's crazy. And I mean, especially when you look at the fact that it's kind of, it kind of makes sense in the fact that you are moving people and they want to hear things that you want to play and you know how to read a crowd and everything else like that. But when you think about the mass distribution of music and on, you would think it'd be much more important on a scale of like covering a whole listening area, you know, of a city. Or something like yeah. that. So it's like you, you think the pay would be triple for that just to keep people tuned in. You see your carpet commercials, but it doesn't, you know. Everybody wants to be on the radio. Yeah. Right. Nobody's thinking I want to be uh, a wedding DJ. Yeah. But lots of people want to be on the radio. And we've, I, were you at the meeting at, at Channel Z where I think it was Frank or Rob or somebody higher up was just flat out saying, if you don't like it the way we're doing it, if you don't like what you're getting paid, there's plenty of other guys out on the street that want your job. Mm, I don't, I don't remember that, but I don't remember a lot of things that were going on back then. Cause I was, you know, I was young and drinking all the time and having a, <laughs> having a great time. And all right. I'm sure, I, I'm sure somebody told me something like that. And no, I, we were at a team meeting and I remember, I can't remember who said it, but I remember very clearly that being said, I kind of feel like it was Frank. It's kind of a douchebag move. I mean, he was a douchebag anyway. Isn't that true for every, you know, every single sort of job or every single career? Yes, of course, everybody wants this job. But, you know, thanks for the encouragement, asshole. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it, you know, you can steer me in a way you want me to, but, you know, fear, that's, that's yeah, that's no way to run this that. Yeah. And now everybody can have a radio station and not get paid because they can do it online. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. I'm having way more fun doing this. Sure. We got a show, man. Yeah. We got t-shirts and shit. That <laughs> <laughs> we pay for. And logos and fucking, yeah, we got rock star friends and woo, you look at it on the surface, it looks great. Yeah. We, we don't know how to conduct business or any of that. No, fuck no. But we're having fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, well sure. It sounds like you are. Yeah. Well, I, I did a podcast for a little while and then I got depressed and stopped doing it. And then a radio gig came along. And like we were talking about earlier, I do my show on Friday nights at the local NPR station here. So uh-huh. yeah, you can catch it at KSMU.org every Friday night from seven until nine. Unless you're in Springfield, you can listen to it at 91.1. So there you go, folks. Nice. I, I thought I'd, I thought I'd plug myself. And then recently I opened a record store. Yes. Well, let's hear about that. Well, it's it's called City Music Records, Books, and Artifacts, and we opened it in November, and we have um, records, books, and artifacts, and then we also have the living room in the back, which is a a stage we've got set up, and and we um, we had our first show the week before 
Missouri got shut down. So we opened a record store six months ago and then immediately had to shut it down. We're hoping it'll it'll turn out well for us, but it's you know, it's been a struggle. Opening a business is a struggle for anybody. Right. But opening a record store in the age of streaming, I don't know if it was such a great idea, but it's something I've always wanted to do. And I opened it with a couple guys. Uh, that I've known for a long time, Ken Childers and uh, Jeff Moffitt. Jeff used to work at CD Warehouse. I got him his job there 25 years ago. Oh, right. So he's he's been working in in record stores since Musicland was in the Battlefield Mall. Oh man, I remember that place. And then Ken Childers worked at Channel Z. He was known as Big Daddy. Do you remember him, Matt? I remember Ken? I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he we opened this record store and. Um, our, our our main goal is to get people in the door by having shows in the back room. So we uh, we start having like little living room shows, more acoustic shows. And we built this great stage. It's got a real 70s vibe to it with an orange couch and wood paneling. And it's really great. It's really great looking. Now, if we can just start, you know, opening back up sometime soon to get bands in there, it'll be great. Well, I, I think next week, uh, Missouri's done. Yeah, I think I think it's Monday. Yeah, I think it's Monday. They're like, okay, we it's all over, you know. Um, <laughs> Everyone's fine. Everything is fine. The numbers go uh, up. You know, oh fuck, might as well go with it. We don't have a choice. What musicians and shit are, are you looking to play in there, or who have you had there? Well, we had um, we had a couple shows scheduled. This guy named Justin Peter Kinkle Schuster, who used to be in a band called Water Liars from St. Louis, and he plays with another guy named Will Johnson from the band Centromatic out of Texas. Okay. Um, he, uh, he played our first show and then this guy named David Dondero, who was produced by Mike Mogus, who was in bright eyes with Connor Oberst from years ago. And he's just been this, um, traveling musician for years. He was named one of the best songwriters 2008 by, um, NPR by tiny desk concerts. Oh, really? That's cool. And he's just been living in obscurity for years, but he's great. And so we had to cancel him because of the, um, of the COVID we have comedy show coming up in July. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're hoping to do one act plays and stuff like that. Cause we have plenty of room for it. That'd be awesome. You like movie screens and stuff. Well, that with movies, you, I think I'm pretty sure you've got to have um, some licensing deals in, in place to yeah. actually play movies. So well, I was just saying like indie movies, like just, you know, any local artists that have done something that might want to screen. Yeah. Spring, Springfield every year has the Sato 48, um, which is um, where they teams of movie makers come together and they get their um, themes given to them by the board of directors at Sato 48. And then they got 48 hours to make a short film. Hmm. And then it gets it gets played at the Moxie and a couple different times a year. It's pretty cool. So it'd be nice to get into a situation with them or work with the True False Film Festival in um, Columbia. Yeah, because we know they have. They, I think they have satellite uh, showings and stuff like that. So it'd be nice to get in into a situation like that. Oh yeah, yeah they're they're typically pretty thirsty here for for anything that they can find. I helped a couple of people get on board with uh, venues here during True Falls who make film, but yeah, that's a really cool idea. And I mean, we'd also love. I mean, just anybody who wants to go into this realm and help promote or, or anything else if they've got something interesting going on have any guests on that you want to refer yeah yeah that's that's yeah that's a really cool idea we just figured that just having records and cds 
just wasn't going to be enough to get people in the store. Right. We're having pretty good business and it's it's picked up a little bit since Springfield has opened back up a little bit, but we just we thought having a little music venue in the back would be great because I've been doing living room shows for about seven years or so mm-hmm. in in Springfield at houses that I've lived in. Mm-hmm. I, I work with this company called Undertow out of um Champaign, Illinois. Right on run by a guy named Bob Andrews, who was Uncle Tupelo's uh, tour manager for their last tour. Oh, cool. And he represents like David Bazan from Pedro the Lion and um, Will Johnson from Centromatic uh-huh. and David Dondero, a couple other people. And so I've booked these people already in my living room or my sister's living room and 30 to 50 people show up. They they pay a little more than they would if they were just going to a club show. It's usually like $25, but all the money goes to the artist and a guy that you've seen in a in a band is playing without his band sitting in the middle of your living room right yeah playing songs that you love but in a totally different format and then you buy a poster from him or a record or a t-shirt and all that money goes to him and it's really the only way that some of these smaller bands that should should have been huge it's it's the only way some of them are going to make any money and it's a great way to see a band. So we thought we'd take that idea from the actual living room and put it in take the living room and put it in a in a record store. That's awesome. Well, I know some of our guests have looked into doing that or, or thought about doing that. I don't know what their thinking is post virus. Well, I think it's a little bit for me, I probably feel a little bit better about sitting in a back room of a record store with 30 people as opposed to going to a, a, a venue with 800 people right roots and blues and barbecue for example yeah oh my goodness that's insane <laughs> yeah that's kind of scary now but yeah but yeah pl- i mean plus you say the intimacy i mean even 25 bucks it's like it, you know you're gonna probably spend that on a couple overpriced martinis in the right bar Right. And, and in our situation, in a, in a um, record store like we've got or in the living rooms that I've put these shows on and before, people can bring their own beer. There you so mm-hmm. you bring, you bring, you, you're not coming in to get wasted. You're coming in to have a few beers with a singer that you enjoy that you know you're going to meet after the show. So you're not going to get hammered. You know, you're just going to enjoy yourself and um, be cool in somebody's living room. So we're really hoping that translates into this little venue that we've got. So I think it will. I think it will, especially for people who are, you know, have been around the block. I mean, for me, I don't know how many times I tell my wife and I'm like, okay, I could spend $70 with me and a friend buying beers for him at a bar tonight, or I can buy this final for 20 (laughs) <laughs> you know it yeah. com- comes in a few days i get to spin it we both have fun we drink beer for like you know seven dollars for the 12 pack you know or whatever and i'm saving you money honey that's just all i'm trying to tell you <laughs> and and then when your favorite band comes to town you're like but you know i'm not gonna buy a record i'm just gonna go to the show and right. i'm just i'm i'm saving you money by going to the concert <laughs> right right yeah, yeah. I never save money when I go out, but that sounds like a good way to do it. So what about your inventory and shit? Are you looking at primary like a uh, pre-owned stuff or, uh, well, we sell, we sell turntables, um, receivers. I just sold a receiver to a friend of mine the other day, a nice little, uh, pioneer from like 73. Oh, no. Um, oh. and we carry new vinyl. We carry used vinyl. We're trying to find some collections to, fill up the store with we've got cds i put in my entire cd collection 
that I've spent years collecting that have been in boxes for the last like seven years. So I thought it's, you know, it's about nice man. My, well, my kids are never going to carry those CDs around. That's just the way. Yeah. And you know, if they buy anything, kids these days are buying cassettes and we sell lots of cassettes, which is kind of crazy. That is weird. That is strange. Yeah. We talked to a lot but of people you, are doing that, but uh, well, a kid can come in and buy a used minute work tape for $3 and it's going to, it's going to, you know, they're going to be able to play it a couple of times before it falls apart. So. Right. Well, I know that, um, like even our, the guys at black side, I don't know if you're familiar with them, the label yeah. up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they do a thing where they try and they have like a scholarship set up where they'll try and help bands that are kind of up and coming and they can't help them press like a record or CD, but they can help them make cassettes that they can sell at shows. For sure. Well, and I was listening to you and Billy Smith talk about uh, National Audio here in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And they are, in fact, the only cassette maker in the world. Crazy. So if, if, they're, if they're hooking these bands up with cassettes, they're coming from Springfield, Missouri. That's weird. And they were about ready to shut down. I, I've known lots of people that work there, and they were just about to shut down and then suddenly they're they end up being the only cassette manufacturer in the world and now they're doing better business than they've ever done that's crazy they stuck it out yeah. and it paid off i hope we can keep that going that's 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 such a great yeah great part of music history i think if if you know you can retain that oh i've got so many cassettes strewn throughout boxes and- I, I've got a lot. i'm afraid play because my players i'm I'm afraid of chewing them up (laughs) (laughs) yeah i haven't hit play for a while yeah cassette player i listen to a few cassettes at the record store i work monday nights i don't work very much at the record store um jeff does because i've i fix furniture by day and work at a record store by monday night but yeah we'll throw in a cassette we were listening to king's x the other night and minute work oh cool yeah but we sell yeah we've got books we have a big collection of books mostly like biographies and music books and stuff like that and lots of cds it's a cool little record store and we took the name from um kevin morby from kansas city Mm -hmm. we're all big fans of his and he had the had an album called city music and i just thought it would be a great great name for a record store cool yeah i agree that's awesome this is a completely different topic. I was just going to, I remember an injury you had. What was, th- did you try to fire walk at one point? Uh, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It was not a good idea. <laughs> well, I was, I was at a like punk rock outdoor music festival slash camping thing. Mm-hmm. I went with my sister. I knew a bunch of people there and I think my friend Mitch was the one that uh, organized this whole show and It was a real aggressive, you know, it was punk rock. So everybody was just freaking out and going crazy and rocking out. Sure. And somebody threw some bottle rockets into the crowd and and it was just a crazy vibe. And I had taken a Xanax, which I didn't really ever do pills or anything, but I took a Xanax, which from what I understand doesn't make you crazy, but apparently I was not acting real smart that night. You're going to lose some inhibitions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Impulsiveness goes up. Yeah. Yeah. So we were standing over a campfire with somebody that I didn't know. And, and at this point, the crowd had kind of dispersed. And it was around the time of Twin Peaks. And I was like, fire walk with me. And <laughs> some dude's like, I, I will if you will. And I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, shit. And he took it, took his socks and shoes off. And I'm like, well, shit, now I got to do it too. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't even a big fire. 
right. And I'm clumsy as shit anyway. So I stepped stepped into the fire and just sort of fell into the fire feet, both my feet, <laughs> and I couldn't get out of it. Because that's kind of an illusion, right? I mean, the, the way they do fire walking, where it's like they make the cold coals on top and like yeah. nobody's prepping that for you. <laughs> yeah. And if he basically stepped on a really sort of a non-burning log at this point, uh-huh. and then I, I stepped on it and fell down into the fire. Oh, shit god it was it was rough and i had (laughs) mostly second degree burns between my toes i had like one third degree burn and my sister was driving this little red nissan pickup at the time Uh and we were out in the middle of nowhere and i they got me into the back of the truck and i had my feet hanging out the back of the truck and she kept getting lost couldn't figure out how to get out of this where we were and every time she'd stop my the only thing making my feet feel better was the wind on my feet yeah and she kept stopping and i would you know yell at her to keep going (laughs) and she took she took me to my girlfriend's house who ended up being my wife who ended up being my ex-wife at a certain point yeah she took me to her house and we'd only been dating for like i don't know a couple weeks or a month and my sister backed me up to the porch and then i slept with my feet in a bucket of water all night and woke up and i my feet were just swelled up like crazy my god and I didn't want to go to the doctor. And she's like, you got to go to the doctor. And so I ended up in the burn unit for a week. I'd have to go every day with little blue booties on and walk across a incredibly hot pavement to get into the burn unit every day. Mm. It was rough. It was a rough couple of weeks. Yeah. I do not suggest fire walking with anybody ever. No, no, it's, it's one thing. And I've been pretty careless and reckless in my life and partying and stuff. And it's one thing that happens with Midwesterners is inevitably at a party, there's a bonfire. Yes. And inevitably somebody plays like Metallica jump in the fire or something <laughs> like that. And I, and I do, and I have tried in the past when I was much younger to stand up and say, do not fuck with this fire, fire bad. Yeah. Stay away find something else to do you know go make out with your girlfriend go eat mushrooms and watch fireflies i don't care stay away from this shit (laughs) but inevitably somebody always had to do that god damn that's scary i'm glad you made it out of it oh yeah i i did and you know i have no ill effects from it i have one little scar in between my big toe and my next toe but i i was fine and then um that's when i got the job at mcsalty's mm-hmm. and and my first day that i showed up at work i was still wearing the blue booties <laughs> and and tc who owned mcsalty's was like dude you can't wear those things to work i'm like i told you i burned my feet what do you want me to do so I had to start wearing I had to start wearing sandals over them, and it was not comfortable. And then I got the job at the Planet, and that brings it all back full circle. Back to full circle. So that's my radio stuff and record store stuff. Nah, man, this is probably the most that we talked the entire time we worked together too. Kind of a shame. I think it's because we were working different shifts, though, that didn't really correlate most of the time. Yeah, and I, you know, I'll see somebody that I worked with in radio with, and I don't remember them usually, especially like salespeople. Like Ken. Yeah, I never hung around with the salespeople. But I, I was mostly working other jobs at the time. I almost never worked full time in radio. There were times when, like, the midday DJ would leave to go to Atlanta or something like that, and I'd take over for a couple of weeks until they hired somebody from Atlanta or something like that. So I didn't really work full time in radio very much. 
most of the seven years that I worked in radio, I was working at CD Warehouse, which I enjoyed a lot too. Right. Oh yeah, it was a great place. Yeah, I was going to school, and you know, so I always felt like eh, I'm a little bit on the outside because I wasn't there for as much as a lot of people were. Maybe you felt the same way. Yeah. I don't know. You know, on top of that, it's I'm still friends with a lot of people like Stacy Shoemake. Do you remember her? Yeah, I remember Stacy. Alex the news chick. Wasn't that what they called her back then? <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot the news chick part. I remember she got me to work for her one night so she could go to Blind Melon. And I was like, I kinda wanted to go, but I'll let her have this. And then he dies after that. Yeah, I went to that. And I was just like, son of a bitch. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, and I've seen him like six times. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. I gave Shannon Ewan a cigarette and talked to him a little bit that night. Nice fella. Was that the 100, 120 minutes show or was that a different show? Oh, that was, that was, well, I mean, the one I went to was the Regency, wasn't that? Yeah. Yeah. At the Regency, I saw him there and, and so I met him backstage. Well, I knew a couple of bouncers who worked at the Regency and so I got backstage quite a bit. I, I love the Regency. I saw such great bands. Oh, yeah. Amazing shows there. Good times. I started going there in 86 when I was 16 because they had the mezzanine upstairs for the under 21. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw a crowded house there. I saw oh, wow. the call. I saw Concrete Blonde. Hmm. It was a great place. I went a couple of years ago. Speaking of Stacy Shoemaker, she raised a bunch of money for a um, micro house community here, you know, for people that were transitioning off the streets into tiny houses yeah oh cool mm-hmm. and she did a big benefit at what used to be the regency and i hadn't been in there in years yeah it was so weird to be in there because the, half of it still looked exactly like the regency and then the other half of it you know the walls had been painted white and purple or something yeah. mm-hmm. but it was it was just such it was so mind blowing to be in there again after having not been in there for so many years. And it was such a great venue. I wish we had a club like that, that brought bands that I personally want to see to town. Yeah. Guitars and drums and, you know, say what you want about Gary. He brought in some good shows, a lot of chances on, on a lot of people that I was surprised by, even that I would hear were coming through. Hey, my life with the throw cult's coming through there. Really? <laughs> and meat puppets. Meat puppets. Yeah. It's band named Chicken Scratch uh, mm-hmm. open for him, and they were one of the best bands I ever saw. Somebody should do a podcast about the best opening band they ever saw. So. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Ooh, ooh, uh, ooh. Uh, well, hmm. off the cuff, I got to say, Chickasaw Mother Puppies opening up for Jane's Addiction. Gosh, I can't even remember the, re- the year. I was like 16, 17 years old, but a, but a two-man kind of one-man band. For sure. Fucking amazing. Um, Circus of Power opening up for uh, Allison Chains. Also, that was yeah, yeah. Uh, my I think my favorite opening band was um, Neutral Milk Hotel opening for um, Super Chunk at the Bottleneck. Oh yeah, nice. yeah, that'd be a good one. Nice. Yeah, we've got a connection at the Bottleneck now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Have they been closed for a while, or what's up? Yeah, I think so. And then he, they're they're I think trying to carefully open back up. Yeah. I saw some great shit. That was my go-to place. I love the Blue Note, but I love the Bottleneck even more. Yeah, I never got out there. I will. I will soon enough. Yeah, we'll get- you've you've never been to the Bottleneck. I've never been to the Bottleneck. He's one of those uh, loyal to Columbia people. Well, I, well, I, I've only lived here for so long. I I love the Blue Note. I, the best show I ever saw was at the Blue Note. Um, My Bloody Valentine, Dinosaur Junior, oh, yeah. Babes in Toyland. Yeah. It was a great show. But uh, the bottleneck was, it was awesome. I love that place. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a good venue. It is a good venue. Yeah. I, I don't want to shit on them at all. I've just never been there. So, yeah, for sure. And Lawrence was such a great town. I mean, I saw a lot of great bands in Springfield, but when I wanted to see a band that never played in Springfield, they would almost always play in Lawrence. Yeah. You could go there and there was um, a bookstore across the street. So you could use the bathroom because you didn't want to use the bathroom at the bottleneck. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it was gross. Not you know, it's, not that and it's, yeah. yeah, but it was a great place. But I always loved the Blue Note too. I uh, had such a great time there. Yeah, the note is good, and and the Shrine Mosque was uh, an amazing uh, place yeah, too. That's kind of a one of a kind venue. I mean, uh, one of my favorite shows I think of all time. Seeing just in general it doesn't have anything to do with the band necessarily, but was seeing Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson at the mosque. There's an opener. Yeah, well, you yeah. know they weren't. They weren't letting people into the show with tickets after the show started because right. of Marilyn Manson. So I got there late. Oh, oh no. And I had seen Marilyn Manson at the Regency at least once. Huh. That show I had tic- I didn't have tickets. I was on the guest list because I you know, working in radio, you didn't have to buy tickets to anything in Springfield at least. Yeah, to go to that. And, um, the show had started, you know, five or 10 minutes earlier and they weren't letting anybody in. People were freaking out that Marilyn Manson was playing in Springfield. So oh, yeah, yeah. I missed that show. Yeah. He got, uh, well, in the first show was, they were freaking out. And I mean, he, you know, he had like a big strap on, on stage and everything. It was like really like kind of sexually overtly disgusting, what he was doing, and they didn't have a big problem with that. But the second time he came back during the Antichrist Superstar tour, um, that's when he got banned, and it was essentially for like ripping pages out of the Bible. So they didn't have a problem with him, like you know, ripping out a huge dick, but right, like you know, wearing a big plastic sex phallus. But in the moment he started ripping pages out of the Bible, is the moment he was banned. Which is way, way worse than a president using a, a Bible for a photo op. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not right. to get political on this show. Oh, no, shit. Know. We get political all the time. Man. Oh, I, I know. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I, I didn't want to be that guy, though. <laughs> what? It'll, it'll like, all be over soon. Oh, I hope so. I oh, hope God, so. I hope so. God, I hope you're right. How sad is it, what, though? And I just, th- this will be my quick rant because it's the most recent thing. Uh-huh. Oh, CNN needs to apologize for me for my <laughs> shitty poll numbers. That's weird. That's so They're weird. They're your shitty poll numbers, not theirs. I mean, come on. <laughs> he's, su- he's such a baby. Retract it and apologize. What? Because they're real? <laughs> yeah. Man, Jake, T- Jake Tapper hates that dude. He hates him so much. It's just insane. It's it's yeah. A lot of people do. I know, but but hearing hearing a, a journalist on TV talk about what a liar the president is, I mean, not a lot of journalists will actually call out the president. They'll report the news, right? But but right. man, you, you know, you, to actually hear reporters say our lying president, right? I'm hearing more and more of it though. Yeah. It's it's catching on. I'm hearing more people say, you know, he's a liar. Right. We And it's not like it's undocumentable. Like, it's verifiable that he is a liar. They are not just saying this venomously, even though they have some venom for him. Well, I mean, you hear people saying shit like, you know, well, fuck Dan Rather. Who cares about him? I haven't heard anything out of him for 15 years. You haven't had to hear anything out of Dan Rather. Dan Rather did his did his job and he had to come back right he's only coming back because the guy's the new 
bullshitter extraordinaire. He wouldn't have said anything. He'd have been fine retiring. But the only reason you're hearing from him is because it's so outlandish. You can be on one side or the other, I think. And here's here's my end all kind of uh, belief on it. Like the recent thing with suing, trying to sue CNN for their poll or or tweeting about whether or not the guy in Buffalo who was the old man is an Antifa plant. It's like, I don't care whether you disagree or agree with him. You have to look at the fact that this is how this guy is deciding to spend his time. Yeah. Right. He's deciding to argue about this rather than solve some really real fucking problems that are going on. He's just not presidenting. He's not. And you do you, do you get your little um, screen time update on your? Do you have iPhones? Because I, I every Sunday I get a little screen time notification about how long I've been on my phone the previous yeah. week. Yeah, I well, I, I would, I would, I would like to see Donald Trump's. Oh my god, screen time notification. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! Yeah, yeah. Because he's he he doesn't do his job. He tweets. And he plays golf and that's all he does. That right. is literally all he does. I mean, I, I supervise people at my job and I know if they were on the phone as much as he is, they'd be fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry. You need to focus on what you're doing. And they listen better than he does. Well, and just the baffling thing that so many people are, are so brainwashed that they can't see through it. Right. Because it's so blatant. It's so blatant. And, and to still miss it, you know, instead of, hey, this guy's a dick and he's that incompetent, it's there's a new world order trying to make him look bad and, right. and take over. And they're trying to deliberately trash the economy and give everybody disease. <laughs> and, I'm, I, and I literally argue back. If there were this this new world order that had this power, <sighs> do you think that Trump would have ever been elected in the first place? If they have the power to control the economy and crash the economy and start plagues, I bet they got the power to rig an election. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the prime example is looking at Bill Gates and what what's going on there. And he's trying to kill well, us. Trust me, if Bill Gates wanted us dead... That could have happened. Laser beams would have shot out of your computer and fried your brain. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like that would have happened a long time ago. Not, not, it wouldn't have been this complicated. And is it true that Trump, Trump voted by mail in Florida and he doesn't yeah. even live there? Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. come on. Yeah. Yep. And we, yep. they, somebody needs to get that taken care of before November so we can vote by mail. So yeah, oh, man, I hope yeah. so. Or at the very least, you should be able to link your voter registration card up with your Facebook or some shit like that. I mean, everything's connected. They should be able right. to, you should just be able to vote online in yeah. a second. Oh, that kind of le- leads me back to where we were. Yeah. Bill Gates is trying to tra- track everybody through the virus, like his, his whole big scam. <laughs> to do. I don't know, like, you know, and, and somebody is like, yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. the guy that founded Microsoft couldn't possibly hack into it. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's not possible. Right. If I really wanted to trace somebody, everybody's got a smartphone these days. But no, let's give them a virus. Right. Yeah, that'll be easier. Yep. How are you going to make money off people if you're killing them? It makes no sense. Uh-huh. When, if they're going to buy another computer, that's where you make your money. <laughs> right. Yep. 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 Better off keeping uh-huh. them alive. 
Yeah, I think so. I think that's how it works. I think that's how you make money off people. Keep them alive. Yep. Have them buy more stuff. Yep. But there's more focus on him than, you know, the tobacco industry or you know, alcohol or anything <laughs> else. I, I, I just pray it's coming to an end. I hope so. Well, for, for months, I, you know, I was... I, I believe that Donald Trump would get elected again, but the way his numbers are looking, I don't think it's going to happen. So I, that's I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah, Sean from Redcade is convincing me of that more and more every day. I mean, I I told him, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know. I I, I was surprised the first time, you know, he got elected. And he's like, first of all, the motherfucker didn't get elected. <laughs> Sean's awesome. <laughs> he is awesome. That dude's like, he's just hardcore punk rock through and through in his soul you know, Red Kate? I, i'm familiar with him i don't know him that well but yeah. um I, i've heard you guys talk about him yeah we yeah we talked to him you check out the episode they're really cool dudes oh yeah i i hope he's right man i i hope that it's just done i think really a lot of people are just forced into a cabinet where they're carrying water for trump at this point I, they they're so invested it's just too humiliating to back out yeah Remember when Rush Limbaugh said, I'm so sick and tired of carrying water for this president. Oh man. I remember that. And it's like, it's like, yeah, well, you know, maybe not, maybe don't do that. Maybe think for yourself. And I don't know. I think, I think a lot of people are getting to that point. I don't know. Yeah. Mitt Romney's starting to stick out. Yeah. Like in a good way. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to March. <laughs> what? I, no. Fuck. I'd rather have Romney now than. Oh, for sure. Anybody. Anything. Yep. Anybody. Yeah. And I always felt kind of bad for him anyway, because not that I would have ever voted for him, but <laughs> I kind of felt like the system, he had to, he had to like drop who he was to run for president. Right. Like he could have easily said, yeah, Obamacare, that shit was mine. Yeah. And he'd have been right. Yeah, probably. And I'm sure it was hard to say, yeah, it doesn't work. When deep down, he's like, that was my idea, and it totally fucking worked. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I got it, so I'll I'll keep it. Yeah. So thanks to Obama and Romney. I think Romney is a pretty decent person all in all. So, I mean, uh, if, yeah. if, if I had to vote for him, I'd vote for him. I'll vote for anybody over Trump, unless, it's, unless it's another Trump. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, a diaper full of waste in my yard without a home i'm gonna vote for over <laughs> homeless diaper yeah. 2020 <laughs> and versus trump I'll, I'll vote for my dog's ass okay <laughs> absolutely if you're gonna vote for a homeless diaper i'm gonna vote for my dog's butthole <laughs> there you go <laughs> i'll start a campaign what we would vote for before him which one is less dangerous you know i mean ultimately that's what you gotta look at it, virtually anything. And that's the problem. I mean, you know, we have talked to other people just been like, you know, I can't, I can't understand how Joe Biden and Donald Trump are the two best people that we've landed on in this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's certainly not, but Trump will always be choice too for me. I just, I, that level of incompetence, I cannot abide. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing how, how little, um, of a job he has done. Yeah. Yeah. He, he took, uh, he took it and went so far below my expectations and they were low. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
like a, like a parody-ish article, like Onion-ish or something, mm-hmm. about how Trump made me believe in God because there's no other explanation for him than the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. I thought that would be fun. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Pushing so far through mysticism that it comes out the other side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if there is, in fact, an Antichrist, there must be a God. So that's blows my whole theory out of the water yeah oh wow yep that's gonna keep me up tonight (laughs) (laughs) oh trump no if he doesn't blow up the world just to so he doesn't lose the election in november hopefully we'll be okay so hopefully yeah just a couple more months to get through yeah man i've had a really good time talking to you yeah me too. Great to talk to you guys. If you're ever down this way, holler at me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to check out the record store. You know, I definitely want to get down to Springfield and check out some, some shows down there. I post all my stuff on the old Facebook, so keep an eye out. But uh, yeah, if anybody wants to come down and play acoustic shows, or at least quieter shows than they normally would at a club, send them my way. Cool. We can do that. It was nice to have known of you, but to have gotten to know you better. It was nice talking to you, and uh, I hope we uh, can see each other soon. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, man. It's been a good time talking to you. You too. You've been listening to Mr. Blonde Joe Livingston on Undetermined the Podcast. Woo! Thanks for tuning in, guys. We had a good time tonight. Right on. Everybody take care of each other out there. Love one another. And we will talk to you soon. Have a good night, people. Thanks. See you later. Thanks. Bye-bye.